0: Hi, my name is Kyle Burkholder, and I'm the pastor here at Covenant Church. Thank you for being here and for being part of Covenant Conversations. Our desire is that the conversations we have in this space extend into your relationships and ultimately maybe even impact your everyday life. For our friends in Northwest Ohio, we believe that life happens in community, and we'd love to invite you to join us and join the conversation in person. So just head to bgcovenant.org visit to learn more now let's get in the conversation. Uh, So this morning, um, we are uh, excited to open up God's Word and start right there. And we're going to kind of do like a one-off today and actually talk about uh, parenting and what God's Word has to say about parenting. Uh, Here's the deal. Parenting matters to all of us. I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you. We've all got parents, myself included, right? So we exist within these parental relationships. Uh, Many of us are parents. And Many of us also are grandparents, and there's even more still who are dreaming and hoping to one day become parents themselves. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at God's word, and specifically, how has God commissioned parents to act as they look to rear and raise their children? Well, we've got to understand within the backdrop of the scriptures of parenting is that God has commissioned parents with authority. And our culture oftentimes has a different backdrop to parenting, therefore we get our cues of how it is that we live our, this role of parenting out, taking cultural cues, a cultural backdrop, and we miss really the real calling and commissioning God has given us as parents. And so we're gonna briefly go over that this morning. So the backdrop within the scriptures is this, this idea of, of, of authority, this, that God has established authority in the world in lots of different places, not just in the family, but in the church and in government and in the world of business, and that God creates authority to create real relational structure for his intent purposes. And so let's read here about authority, and then we'll begin to kind of talk about what does this have to do with parenting. So Luke chapter seven, after Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, Jesus entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, do not pres- I do not presume to come to you, but say the w- word and let my servant be healed. For I too, man under, a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, I say, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd, he said the following. He says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had, uh, who had, sent, who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So authority has to do with faith. Clearly here in chapter seven, this is what we see. That our exercise and existence within these authoritative relational structures is a matter of spirituality and our spiritual faith. And when we operate within these authoritative structures, it is it an actual operation and acts of faith themselves? What we see here is that the servant understood authority, he understood that God had placed him in a place of authority to what it seems here to care for the nation, to use this place uh, of authority for the common good, and specifically to advocate for his servant so that his servant might get better, might be healed. But then also the centurion understood that he too was a man under authority. And specifically in this instance, he's not a man that can change his servant's health. He can't, you know, make his atoms be different or all of a sudden produce, you know, the uh, white blood cells needed in order to produce healing for his servant— but he knows Jesus, who's the author and the Lord over all the universe, is the one that has the ability to change and act authoritatively. And so the centurion then goes to Jesus, whom he's under his authority, and then says, Jesus, would you act with your authority for the common good, for the good of the servant? You see, our acting under authority, our living under authority, is a matter of faith and all authority ultimately finds its end in the person of Jesus who is the Lord of lords. So whether this authority is acted again out in government or in business, in the church, or in family life, living and existing and acknowledging authority structures is vital to us living out and acting faithfully. N.T. Wright, who is a, uh, an author and a theologian, he says this about God's uh, use of authority why it is that God himself uses authority. He says, as we see and know in Christ and by the Spirit, so God is judging and remaking his world. He does authoritatively, what he does authoritatively, he does with this intent. That when God exercises his authority, it's with this intent of remaking this world, of, of setting this world back to rights in his intended original creation and for, and for creation flourishing and human flourishing, and ultimately, for his glory. And so when we think about authority, in w- the authority that God graces us with, that he gives us, we act with the same sort of attent- intent. Not to act out, uh, using our authority to act out our will, or making our will happen, but it's really to ultimately have the will of the Lord be done through the use of our authority, and however it is that we operate it. Specifically, within parenting, this is not about us getting our way in our children's lives, our will being done in their life, them becoming the way that we want them to be, but for us to actually act in such a way that our children pick up and understand God's will and are then equipped to live in in and accomplish the will of God in their own life. Uh, I like what Paul David Tripp says. Paul David Tripp, who's an, an author and a counselor, he says, every time I exercise authority in the life of my children, it must be a beautiful picture of God. Again, every time I exercise authority in the life of my children, it must be a beautiful picture of God. That when we exercise authority in our children's lives, that we are actually showing them something of their heavenly father. Again, his, his goodness, his love, his grace, his ways, his teaching, all of these things. And so this is the mindset, the backdrop with which we act as parents. So now how do we act as parents? How do we actually act out this authority? I've got three things for you this morning. Okay, number one is that we instruct in love. Okay, we use our authority in order to instruct in love. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes this. He says, children, obey your parents, to the, uh, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All right, so right here at the very beginning, what are, what what are fathers and mothers to do? They are to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This word discipline means to train, that our children don't know how to be kingdom citizens, children of God unless they're trained to do so, and our responsibility is to train them, to discipline them, to instruct them in this way. All instruction is led for children to understand the truth and then to live out the truth. We do this in three different ways, instructing them in love. We pray for them. It starts there, that we intercede on the behalf of our children, that we pray for their spiritual readiness, we pray for the condition of their heart, uh, we pray for the situations in their life. We intercede for them. Uh, we care for them. Um, I know uh, many of my friends who had parents who uh, prayed for them and knew that their parents were praying for them. And while maybe in the moment it was underappreciated, as they got older, they much appreciated the fact that their parents uh, went to the Heavenly Father just as the servant went to Jesus, interceding on them, uh, for them on their behalf. So it starts with us praying to the Lord. We pray about that which we care about, right? Like if we're sick, we're going to ask God to heal us. If we have a need financially, we're going to go to God and say, God, would you provide for this? And if we care about our children, we should be interceding for them and praying for them. But secondly, our instruction starts with, before we even say a word, it starts with our model, our example, our life. That we are a demonstration. We flesh, salvation to our children, that we flesh to them first the goodness and the grace and mercy of our heavenly father. That means that how you live is teaching them, training them on how a, a son and daughter of the king of kings, the Lord of lords, lives. That your children should see you in the word. They should see you prioritizing church, prioritizing giving and generosity, because more than what you tell them, they're going to uh, emulate what you do and how you live. If you think little of the gathering of church, if you think little of God's word, if you take little initiative in these areas, well then they, like most people, will have just stunted maturity, uh, unengaged minds and hearts in these areas that you, you choose not to, to live out and make an example for them of how it is that you live as a follower of Christ. And thirdly, our teaching. Our teaching is important. Children don't know how to honor their father and mother. They don't know what it looks like to exist under authority. And this is just one example. But unless we teach them how it is that you respond to authority, how you respect it, how you honor it, how you revere it, how you acknowledge it, they won't know how to do that. Again, children don't know how to think about others other than themselves. Think about yourself as natural. Think about others and doing good to others is something that's unnatural, that they need to be taught how to do it. They don't just intuitively understand salvation. While we all have a heart that longs for eternity and longs to know God, understanding who God is and what salvation is is not intuitive unless it's taught to us. And so you have a responsibility, first, to be the teachers of salvation and sanctification to your children. And the church supports you in that. We wanna support that work of teaching in your life, uh, in, in your education of your children, but the church supports what you're doing, it really is you who should be the, on the forefront of teaching and training your children in the ways of God. So we instruct in love. We exercise authority by instructing love. Secondly, we correct out of love. So some of our training moves into this actual discipline and correction or rebuking our children. Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, whoever spares a rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Our discipline, our correction, is an act of love, and to withhold that correction, to withhold that correction is to not love our sons and daughters. And so again, just like you know, uh, if you put your hand on a hot uh, a hot stove, that pain, right, that momentary suffering, teaches and trains you not to put your hand on a hot stove to check the surroundings, to check the knobs, and make sure that it's safe before you put your hand on the, uh, uh, on the oven, correct, or on the stove, correct? So our correction, our boundaries, help to rear our children to understand places where there's danger, places where they can get themselves hurt or they could hurt others. And our correction is important to this. Now, Paul does say something here. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. So the method of our of our uh, correction matters. And so we do discipline, but we don't do it out of this way of thinking that we can somehow control their all their behavior. Um, we don't correct in order to exercise again our will in their life, but God's will. We don't correct out of a response, out of our own anger, our own frustration, uh, out of our own emotion, uh, because it's just not loving or effective. And so we correct from this position of their good, mindful of their ultimate eternity and their ultimate reference point of, of being children of God. And in that way, we are a, a mediator, of God's, mediator of God's discipline in their life when we discipline our children. So we're mindful of that. All right, so our exercising our authority is to instruct children in the way of love. It is to correct them out of love. And thirdly, is to cultivate hearts of love, that we are to cultivate hearts of love in 1 Timothy chapter 1, you can go and read this on your own, in verses three to five, Paul talks about the importance of sound doctrine. And he says, you know, we're tempted to kind of go along with teachings that kind of please our ear and maybe make us feel good, but it's not the truth. And so what Paul says to the church is, hey, train those, instruct those in sound doctrine, in truth. And what you see him then say is, is that instruction in doctrine will actually form hearts of love. In hearts of love, then out of hearts of love flow acts and lifestyles of love. Ligon Duncan um, says this. Uh, He says, doctrine is meant to lead to love and produce love. Doctrine is meant to lead to love and produce love. Sound doctrine produces hearts, cultivates hearts of love. And again, we went over this. How you instruct in doctrine matters in prayer and example and in teaching. But instruction in doctrine, forming hearts that understand the truth, that is how it is that our children then learn how to be people and grow into people who actually do love. Not to see a bunch of commands that they then just sort of attempt to replicate, but actually be formed into the image of Christ, their savior, that they might love the world and love others as he uh, has called and uh, calls them to do. Now, a couple closing remarks uh, as we end our time. We have to understand that while as parents we exercise authority for, uh, for uh, the good of our children um, to help them understand the will of God, ultimately, life transformation, gospel transformation is only by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we ourselves are, cannot Make our children's decisions for them. Uh, we can't just think just because we do things the perfect way or the ideal way that that means that it will lead them to a lifestyle of repentance. That is a Holy Spirit work. We're told in the scripture that it's a Holy Spirit work. So that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility isn't to change our children's lives or for them to, uh, to uh, for us to make their decision of, of followership of Jesus, but it is to model it for them. And that's what we get to do but ultimately we pray that the Holy Spirit would, would form and transform our children's hearts and minds. We also need to be mindful of this too, that as parents we fail. And some of us are failing a little bit. You understand your calling, you're, yeah, okay, like God has given me this place, this position, I understand what I'm to do, and yet I still make daily mistakes and not enfleshing his grace in the way I should. And we need to be continually mindful of that and repentant of that, that his grace and love might flow through us as we exercise our, ch- uh, our authority over our children. And some of us, because we've been taking our keys, cues from the world, might very well just feel like, man, I just feel like I'm failing at this. I've been more trying to just make sure that my kid is happy. I've been more just trying to appease them and please them than really form them and train them or prepare them for a lifestyle of following, following Christ. Or I've been training them really f- to be success- successful in the world and not in the kingdom of God. And if that's you, you need to understand that there's grace for you, that Jesus came to, to die, to cover you of your sins, to pr- forgive you, that you would then be able to enter into your calling, not by just sort of mustering it up and getting your act together, but by responding in repentance to him and then changing the way that you're parenting by, his, by the power of his Holy Spirit and through his grace to then relive this calling that God has given you to exercise the authority he's given you that you might love your children, that you might learn how to love them well by caring and providing and interceding for them. With that being said, let us pray, Covenant Church. Heavenly Father, thank you for a new 2023, a new year, God, a new fresh start. And Lord, before we make all of the New Year's uh, declarations of, of how this year is gonna be different, Lord, will we start by aligning ourselves under you. That God, you are our authority, you are our heavenly father, you are our king, and you are our friend. And Lord, we be obedient to you this year, listening to you, learning from you, and then living out of this heart of love that you're forming in us. And then in regards to our parenting, God, would you form us? Would you challenge us? Would you correct us? That we might do our very, very best for our children that we might rear and raise them, not in the ways of the world, but in the ways of your kingdom, that they may be able to grow into the fullness of who you've made them to be as your citizens and more than that, your very own sons and daughters. We ask this in your name, Jesus Christ, amen.